Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I uh, I went to the gym this morning because, you know, I've been doing the cardio stuff. I don't do weights because uh, I can't handle them, but I'm doing cardio, and that's that's hard enough for me to get to the gym. And I do I do the treadmill, and I was listening to some Motley Crue today, which is a great was a great uh, CD to listen to. I call it CD, a great uh, album to listen to while I'm running. But I ran into this idiot next to me, and I don't understand. Like for me, the treadmill is something that's just. It's supposed to be relaxing. I walk, I watch TV, I listen to music. I had a guy next to me, he was running with weights. And I'm sitting there going, why are you, I mean, it's so crazy. These people just go to the damn treadmill and walk. He's running with weights. He's swinging his arms everywhere. And I'm worried because I'm legally blind one eye. If I get hit in that bad side, I can't see it all. And then I, I can't see, I can't call anyone to pick me up because I can't see my phone. And the guy's just going off. And then he starts going backwards. Like he turns around and he's running backwards. And I'm thinking, isn't the treadmill just like, just to walk? So I just, if you go to the gym, don't do like jumping jacks. Don't like, move weights don't even take weights on the treadmill just walk because most of us do that and if you don't you look like an idiot anyway enough about that my guest is Ray Don Chong how you doing Ray I am good I mean this guy must have been uh, paleo you know one of those paleo crossfitters who you know they're committed you can't put them down for working hard it's just that because you know some people complain about you who just walks and watch TV it's like you're not really pumping your heart you're basically just taking up space but I am pumping my heart because I have a heart condition but this guy wasn't in shape that's the worst thing. And my girlfriend told me he's also the guy when he goes in the gym. <laughs> this is crazy. When he goes into the gym, you know, there's a fan on the machines. Yeah. He doesn't want the fan. So he doesn't ask me. He just turns it away. Oh, and so like, he smells. And, and, and he wants everyone to be hot. So oh. I just, you know, that's it. Anyway. I'm so glad you can come on. I, I saw you. the uh, I saw the Dark Delicacies, which was you, we were on that show, yeah. and I saw it. And it's, that's how I get guests. And I said, "Oh my god!" Because I mean, I, I was I'm, I've been a fan. It was of pretty forever. fun to do Dark Delicacies. I mean, it's you know, it's it's lines of uh, uh, what do you say, uh, Scream Queen chicks from like those horror B movies, and so I was there proudly representing Knock um, Knock 'Em Dead, and what whatever else I've done that's been horror, and it was fun. It was nice to make a little bit of money and meet all my fans. There's a, there's a, a few of them out there. Well, no, you know what's great about those things, and you have tons of fans. When I <laughs> when I said you were coming, on, okay, here's what happens. Mm-hmm. I saw I announced what guests are coming on, yeah. and it was great. I saw the thing and I got in touch with you, and you were yeah. graciously accepted. When I put you were coming on, I have um, and I'm I'm 51. Okay, so yeah. one, all us guys in college were watching your movies. Right. All my friends, they're going nuts. I honestly, I think <laughs> I got like 95 likes on Facebook, you're so cute. and people were like, oh. My God, Ray Dong John's coming on, and uh, so yeah, so it's just because I'm crazy. Nah, you, and you, my dad's a bit of a pope, the Pope of Pot, so that always helps. Well, I was going to ask you now. You you grew up in Canada. No, I was born in Canada. We were there officially till I was about seven, and then we were thrust into the gorgeous neighborhood of the ghetto of Detroit, Michigan, Okay, and which my dad was signed on Motown, and my sister and my mother and myself, we were there for about a year and a half, getting... Um, Getting indoctrinated about what it's like to live in an urban setting. And we were fresh off the boat from Vancouver, Canada in the 60s. Can you imagine? And it was during the riots. So it was culture shock. It was like going to Bombay, only America style. It must be crazy. And It was rough. I kind of, th- I was afraid. It was the first time I had ever seen more than, you know, um, five brown-skinned people who weren't my relatives. It was just, you know, chock-a-block ghetto. Um, but it was interesting. I, I now kind of look back on it more fondly because... We stayed with a fascinated, fa- fascinating family, and I learned a lot. I was, I was actually in second grade, and I was spanked. Um, it was when they did corpor- corporal, cor- how do you say that, corporeal? Cor- corporal, corporal yeah, punishment. Cor- corporal pu- punishment, and I was spanked in front of the class, and I remember I hated school from that point on. I mean, I hated school before then, but I really hated school. It's always weird. You get... And I was spanked because this kid pushed his way to the top of the of our, you know, when they make you line up to um, sharpen your pencil, and he pushed to the front, so I pushed him back. Well, good, you should have. And so right when the teacher looked, right when I was pushing him out of the line, so she all she saw was me pushing it and that's the nature that's been my life they never see the instigator I get yeah, they I, never see it it's always that I person it. it's like we used to have a kid in our neighborhood it's and the, the kid was the worst kid but it, like we were safeties because you did that yeah. you know you're like in 6th grade and you give him a white card we call it a yellow card or whatever and his mom 
the kid could do no wrong. His mom would come and, and yell at us, like sixth graders, like, we're just young kids. This kid's running around like a hellion. Terrorizing and, everyone. Yeah. And they would sit there, and then that kid... It's the beginning of being a gangster. Yeah, and he used to pickle me, and then years later, I beat him up. Awesome. So, and I, I know, right? Years later, I was like, when I was 22, I, I hit him. The teacher pulled up my dress, and thank God I had tights on, but I remember, and she was smacking me, but at this point, I was kind of a tough little kid anyway, and it was like, it didn't hurt, it just pissed me off, and I was embarrassed, because, you know, she pulled, she did it in front of the class. And I just kept thinking, you stupid person. It's yeah, it's so funny. Like, back then, it's they sit there and it's it's like it's shaming. It, it's, it's it's shaming. It's, and you know, kids, we're fully loaded when we're little. We're fully we're, we're like operating systems. We come out of that space completely dialed. So she should have asked me instead of just grabbing me and or done it in private. Like you know, when they sit there, give you detention. You know, I mean, you don't want to do it in private. But I'm saying, yeah, that would have been really really oh, yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now, now from Detroit, now then when mm. your, your father... And then we went to, and then my mom put us in a car. She doesn't remember who drove us, but my mom put my sister and I in a car. We went to L.A. Okay. So from 1969 onward, I've lived um, in and out of L.A. since then. So, and it's, what is it? It's uh, 2015. I know. Isn't that crazy? Fuck, I'm old. It's, yeah. Um, no, you're not. Come yeah. on. Yeah. It's, it's 2015. I, I sat there the other day and I, I'm sitting there going, wow. 2015. I thought we would be dead by now. Yeah, really? <laughs> See, I'm, 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 I never thought that. I just, it's weird for me as when I, when I look at something and I follow sports and if I see like a player was born like whatever year I'm like what and they always look older it's like w- when they're born in like 96 yeah you're like wait a second I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I graduated team. college in 86 this is a, I'm watching this guy graduate <laughs> although now you know I've dated people who are like you know, born after my son was born and that's kind of embarrassing no that's not it but that's is. no it's not it's so I feel sort of like what? No, no. robber. No, it's not. I mean, yeah, no, come on. That's, come it's, on, come it's a new on. thing. No, I got to ask you. Now, okay. when did you decide to get into acting? Because your father was a comic. And I know. I was. I, I, I never wanted to be an actor. You never. And all I, what I wanted to do was sing. And I had um, sung at my sixth grade graduation at Wonderland Avenue School. And in the audience of the graduate ceremony, I sang a song called Celebrate Life, which was written by Gordon DeWitty. And I got a standing ovation. It was very, very frisky and lovely. And in the audience was a casting person from Disney, and they cast me in a movie like promptly. I went in for the meeting and I got the role. And that is how I act. I started acting. I was I was discovered at twelve. Okay. And then it kept coming. It kept coming. It kept coming. And then I talked my way into um, an uh, an agency that was quite um, up and coming, and they were good. And um, you know, it's really tough when you're my parents. Parents did not support my career. They were not uh, helpful. My mom was working. My dad was Tommy Chong. So basically, I had to do everything on my own. So I used to have to hire adults to be on the set with me. So it was kind of a weird path in life. But that's how I started. And it wasn't until I was about 25 that I decided I better learn how to do this. So, okay, so you're getting, now you were in a lot of movies. I've done a ton of movies, and I didn't really start understanding what the process was. Well, I did this movie called Quest for Fire when I was 19. Right, which was a was huge. ridiculously difficult to do. It was a good movie. It was huge in its own way. It was more, Quest for Fire is a kind of film that holds up, but um, it never was a big hit. But it was an unusual, beautiful film, and it eventually made a ton of money, which none of us have seen. Right. Only the money guys have seen. Um, but we did have a 30-plus year reunion, Ron Perlman, myself, Namir Alcotti, Jean-Jacques Hano, we went to the Ivy for dinner, and basically it was uh, a mea culpa. It was a, an a opportunity for the director to apologize, especially to me, because he wasn't dick to me now you but. said it was it was hard uh, when you shot oh, what man. was so hard about it was Brutal. It just... we were naked okay it was I was naked well most of us were we were basically naked and it was winter everywhere we shot so we shot in um, we shot in Scotland in late November and then a place called uh, William Abbeymore, um, Williams, Scotland, and it's it's vicious, and it's all of our locations were at least a mile and a half to two miles from the cars. So unlike say Clan of the Cave Bear, which they had like trailers really close, which you could kind of feel, we were suffering. We had to do a two three mile hike into locations in which we had these shitty little tents, and then we had these heaters. But you know heaters, spot heating doesn't really get the core. So we basically would 
would spend 12, 13 hours, 12 hours, we'll just say, uh, for argument's sake, 12 hours out exposed to Scottish, you know, the Highlands right. in November, naked. And then the, the thing about Scotland is they have these little trees called heather. Heather is just vicious little needles. And we were barefoot, and he would have us running across the heather. I mean, My it was dick. rugged. Well, you know, I mean, he was right to do it artistically, but um, for us actors, <laughs> Ron Perlman, thank God, he's so funny. Because you, you see our mouths moving in the faraway shots. Really, what he's doing is a running commentator about what the fuck are we making. He was doing this. And if it wasn't for him, because we were dying with laughter, because we were all crying. Our feet were bloody every day. We were so cold at night that we'd have to come home and take like an hour-long bath to get the core warm. So, um, and that, okay, so Scotland in November, and then we, we took a, we had like a private plane uh, charter the entire crew and we went to Kenya in the which was their summer so if, if it wasn't freezing it was boiling and then remember it's quests for fire and the right. fires were gigantic <laughs> so they would read on film so as you're sitting around that thing you're just getting completely cooked and not comfortably so and then behind you is complete ice so we had kidney issues which I don't think I've ever really recovered from and I mean good lord and then we had a three month break from and I remember when they said, "Right on, you got to come back. We're going to do a month and a half in um, Ontario in March." And I, I had a nervous breakdown <laughs> because I had to be naked and covered with that crap and had to deal with that French guy. And I was just like, oh, "Kill me now!" I cried. No, I, I had to bring a friend to basically hold my hand. My friend, my roommate Janet Baldwin, I begged her to come with me because I couldn't face it. It was, it's just you can't imagine the physical terror of doing a movie like that. I mean, thank God it came out good. Right. Because the 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 wear and tear, it was just brutal. And we got paid, you know, lunch money. It was ridiculous. That's just crazy. Cause that and was- it didn't help any of our careers, by the way. Well, because I'm in mud. Ron, per- everyone's, we're, we, we were unrecognizable. To this day, people don't realize that we're in that movie. That's insane. No, it's funny. Oh, it's Because su- now, now I want to watch it again. Just cause it's- Oh, it holds up. It's the best film I've ever made in terms of just like, what is a good movie? But, um, Oh. Well, see, for me, I love to after I have a guest tell me about the movie. I always watch it in a different vein because I sit there when I hear the stories. Now I'll sit there and go, "Oh my God, Ron! Oh my God, Ron, yeah, Ron, Ron Perlman." And then we had these. I had dreams afterwards for years because it's like PTSD. You get PTSD, film PTSD. Of course, it's not the same as military. Don't lose your shit, you guys out there. I'm not saying that we're actors or anything like vets. We're not. But here I was, this 19 year old girl that was, you know, n- you know, soft, and then I was thrust into the basically a boot camp of filmmaking. It was good for me. I learned a lot. I learned that I'm a tough little thing. But um, yikes. I wanted to be in fame. That's the other thing. I was auditioning for fame. I wasn't a good enough singer. Irene Cara was better than me. And instead, I got this movie where I had to be naked and covered in mud (laughs) and tortured. (laughs) So it's like, and that is, again, the story of my life. When I want the fluffy film, I get the fucking, (laughs) you know, I'm going to Mount Everest with crampons. It's like, (laughs) Jesus. Now, what what was like? shooting Commando. Commando was fun. That was different. Because that was so funny. Although, mind you, you know, that was had its own thing. I had to be in a very tiny space with Arnold Schwarzenegger for eight weeks. Uh, is he that big? I mean, yes. is he is he huge? I mean, you see no, pictures. No, he's like, adorable. But, you know, he's handsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we wouldn't tell that from his maid. We would never think that from, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's adorable. It was fun. It was really, really fun to do that movie. It was a good. It was a coup to get that film, actually. Well, not- but in some ways, that film, as much as it's really been the film that's most famous, like I can go, I could go into the jungles of you know the Golden Triangle <laughs> in Thailand, and on the you know, and I would be maybe kidnapped by rebels, but then they would stop and go, oh my God, she's the girl from Commando, <laughs> and then we'd be released. That's. It's true. And so there it's- isn't a human being that hasn't seen that movie. I think you're right. Not one. Now that's so funny. Now, now people start after that came out. The people start recognizing you. And was that was that new? That for you? movie was the po- no. You know, it was the thing that made me physically famous was the um, Mick Jet MTV. Remember MTV? Oh well, you know my my first guest today was the bass player for Wham. So, okay. So we were talking about, and I remember the videos. Is that the black guy? Yeah. He's the guy. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And we were talking about videos and how videos, and he says, hey, if you watch Wake Me Up Before I Go, go, I'm on it. Yeah. And yeah, the videos, we were in a video with the So Jagger. I did, I was lucky. I talked my way into, um, I had actually run into Mick Jagger and um, Keith Richards in a hotel that doesn't exist anymore called the Mayflower okay. in New York City, which is right near Columbus Circle. 
And it's fascinating when I go to New York and I, that, that hotel was so iconic. Anyway, they were at a bar. I was making Beat Street and I saw those two, the Glimmer Twins. And I said to, they said, I said, what are you doing? They said, oh, we're shooting a video. And I think Angelina Jolie was in that video actually. Really? Yeah, at the time. And I said, oh, I want to be in one of your videos. I, I really pushed it. I'm like, I need to be in one of your, you should put me in one of your videos. And then a month later, uh, uh, Mick Jagger's assistant at the time called me and said, um, will you come to Brazil for a month to well, do this movie with us? We're going to send you a ticket. You'll get paid this much money, and um, there's no script. And I was like, ugh. But I thought, yeah, of course, Dennis Hopper, Mick Jagger, I can do this. And that's how it happened. There was no script, and it was Julian Temple directing. But that piece started the buzz because then it was on MTV, and then it was from that that I got in on uh, Commando. And then between those two things, the '80s, my little moment happened. What did was it weird for people? People recognize you? I mean, because it's no one's used to that. I mean, what happened to you? Because you were a young girl. No, but my dad's always been famous. Yeah, but I mean, but but they don't recognize. They didn't recognize you. What was yeah. like when it's your own? But when you're black, we were. My sister and I are both mixed black girls from Canada there's like there's no one else like us up in okay. Vancouver at the time we've always been famous my dad had three nightclubs so growing up as little little tiny girls I was on stage at two dancing in front of his band at two um, I remember this and then he had T's Cabaret which was all the big acts like the uh, my, Ike and Tina Turner and James Brown and we would be taken because I guess back then they didn't believe in childcare. I don't know I just feel like I was always in a nightclub well yeah I think that's it's, it, well, that's like the, the thing had the elegant parlor which was the after hour club that Jimi Hendrix used to play at Jimi Hendrix was even at my fifth birthday party playing and he was just this nappy headed gorgeous guy that hung around my dad and I never even you know and didn't really compute that this was who he was, you know, because he wasn't then. He was just this 19-year-old guy that hung out from Seattle with my dad. So he had um, the Elegant Parlor, and then they had Tea's Cabaret, and then we had a titty bar called the Shanghai Junk. So we had three nightclubs. We were these two little black girls in a city, a sea of white people. And so when you ask me about being famous, I don't remember not being sort of famous. Okay, so people, we were infamous. Okay, yeah. so people knew. Oh, okay. I, people would say hi, Radon and Robbie. We were always hi, Radon and Robbie when we were growing up. Oh, there's Tommy's kids, Ray Don and Robbie. You know, I I have no memory of not being famous. That's cool though. I mean, it's just, all this. It's so funny that you can sit here now and, and you know you sit there and say, "Wow, Jimmy Hendrix is at my birthday party." I mean, that's like one of the coolest. He played things. when I was five, but I mean, it didn't mean anything because right. I was five. All, and I I was really kind of sad about it because normal situations, and I don't know why I even knew about normal at five, but you know, it's a dark, dingy. <laughs> it's a dark, dingy club. The only good thing about it is we had microphones, so we would sing on stage. I have absolutely zero stage fright. Now it's harder for me to audition in a room with a camera pointing at me than it is for me to get in front of thousands of people with a microphone. Isn't that crazy? No, because you know what I I my background I'd stand I did stand up from eighty five eighty eight okay. to ninety five and I would be on stage you know I'd be on the road a lot and I came out here I did my friend and it was my friends little like. <laughs> 10 minute short movie and we're sitting like in Fullerton or something and it's like 2 in the morning and I'm it's like we're going to a Halloween party I'm wearing a toga and the guy says the line and I have like one line and I freeze and I'm thinking I'm sitting here I've been performing you know I've done over you know thousands right. of shows and I'm sitting here and my buddy's like dude I just I saw you do a show like two weeks ago in front of like no one and you didn't give a crap and so I'm sitting there and, I'm, and he's like take take and I'm going and my line was like yeah man this sucks and that was it it wasn't like anything big it wasn't like a big thing and I'm sitting there and it's it's weird though because when I go into auditions sometimes I, I get it, I get nervous do you know what I think what it do you think is? it is I think it's you have to take out the element of wanting something true so when you go into an audition you want the gig right so when you're out when you're out in front of a, a you know, a, an audience of 8,000, you, uh, you want them to like you, but you kind of can't give a fuck because... They They're there to see you. Yeah, and also to comedy. I think if you start wanting to be funny, you're horrible. Right. So I feel like as a rule, just, I don't, you know, I don't want anything. I'm just going to do what I have to do. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, whatever. And that, I, I really, as we're saying this, I have an audition tomorrow. I have to think this because I can do this. Yeah, you can. Yeah, exactly. Come on, you can. Jeez. Now, now, what was it? It's so funny. Your father, it was always portrayed as a Latino. 
Well, it's just because people are lazy and they didn't look close enough. He's Chinese and right. Irish. I read that, but it's just funny. tall. And he's, stand, he's standing next to Cheech. So, I mean, people are just lazy. Because I listened to Cheech. That was people my... People think all black people are the same. <laughs> yeah, well, they all think they... All Asians are the same. And if you really get to know a person or the races, we are absolutely uniquely different. Oh, yeah, I know. And it's insulting to everyone. Asian, it's insulting to people who are of color. It's insulting to Tommy Chong and Cheech that Tommy is Chinese and Irish. But he's not Mexican. Uh, yeah, I grew but up people, being I, be, I grew up being Cheech and Chong's daughter. I mean, how, how about that? Well, yeah, that's, that's a, like super lazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, people for me, I, I had people. Uh, everyone thinks I'm Jewish because I grew up in a Jewish town. I'm not, and people just make that. Oh, you're so from Germany. So, what are you? Are you Italian? No, I'm 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 a Irish. mutt. I'm English, German, Austrian. My mom's family was right off the boat from Austria and Croatia. So you're basically a Nazi, a Croatian Nazi. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, a, I'm 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 like you know I, that looks like it, but everyone thinks you're Jewish. And I go, well, if you knew my background. <laughs> Yeah. You're like, uh, I not, you know, believe me, I'm not Jewish. I kill them. No, I'm just kidding. No. We're just kidding. We're just kidding. That's all right. Believe me. We're just don't. having a sick joke moment. We're just having a sick joke. And we can't because, you know, she's Cheech and Chong's daughter. So <laughs> now, I, no, no, as, we, as we're talking about, you know, the race thing and stuff like that, you did mm. a movie called Soul Man. Yeah. Which, you know, it was funny. Well, you know what happened to me? I, I, I'm going to blame him. His name's Spike Lee. Spike has this thing of whenever anybody's on top and he's coming up or he's around, he has to put them down. So at the time that Soul Man came out, unfortunately for the film and for the filmmakers, us, Spike had a, a microphone in front of him and he just starts putting it down and told everyone in the community not to go see it. And meanwhile, it, it's an adorable movie and it's, it's sweet and it's not racist, although the problem is in Hollywood, they don't have a good record for making films they usually it's usually films where white people are helping black people so the history's bad so spike had a point but then of course he he at that time he pointed out that um film but he's an asshole and i don't give a fuck about him right. that's good <laughs> he's no. talented though yeah I mean, and he's a good filmmaker but he's a dick well let's say that have you met him I've had a fist fight with him. No, I want to hear this. I, no, I, I'm sorry. Can, can we talk? I want this. I love stuff like this. Well, you, it was what happened was he had said really horrible things about me in the public, about how I wasn't this or I wasn't that. He's just a dick. And then they asked me if I would give him an, an award, an award that I had won the year before in which Oakland. Was it's the um, Walter Mashu Award. He's a he was a black theater owner director back in the 20s. So there's a, a black intra community award, and I had won it the year before. And they were giving it to Spike the next year. So I said, absolutely, I will go. So I went to this award show just so I could push him and tell him to shut the hell up, that he was a dink and it was really unnecessary. And I really didn't appreciate him calling me out because not only is it hard in general to get a job, but really do we need Spike Lee making everyone's life miserable? And all really Spike cares about is Spike. It's just like I care about Radon. But at the end of the day, it's like the black community, we have so much pain, so much to overcome, and then we're intra-fighting. I mean, that's lame. So I felt that I needed to beat him up. So I was pushing him and ready to just go to town on him, and we were broken up. It, I got pulled off of him by Denzel Washington and... Um, the dying Sammy Davis Jr. Oh my! And Sammy, in his little cancer-ridden body, has his hand on my, on me, pushing me back, and his hand on Spike's chest because I have Spike pinned against a brick wall, and I'm basically gonna beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and Denzel's like, "Right on, back up." And Denzel hadn't worked with him yet, so he was sucking up. I mean, Spike is a really good director, and I'm sad that I hate his guts because you know it hurt my career. <laughs> I tend to do that, but I, um, yeah. So Sammy Davis Jr broke us up and it was pretty comic I felt good though because I did want to grab him he's one of those Weasley guys that you know cuts your braid off in school and and or write or spreads you know untrue truisms well about see you. I feel the same way about Michael Moore oh I just because I think he's just a punk I mean, just I, I, I do like his films. So yeah, that's the thing. So I, I like Spike's films. I just don't like Spike the yeah, person. Like I like I like some of his films, Michael Moore. But the whole thing with the American Sniper, that's fine. Whatever I, he says. Yeah. But the whole thing is for his. Like he reminds me of that kid who would like eat, eat paste in like third grade. Like that kid, you know, like sit in the corner. <laughs> well, like, obviously he eats he eats paste. Look how big he is. I know. Uh, yeah, he's he's, he's eating all the paste. Yeah. But don't you think that Michael Moore at least? I mean, he's a liberal, which you know. I, 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 but I like some of the things. I mean, I, he was one of the first ones to say we have a gun problem with kids. Right, which I really appreciate, and I appreciate, and too. I do like the fact that he he is one, you know, he does support the ninety nine percent. I do believe that, but you're right, he is an opportunist. He's a propagandist. Yeah. Well, I was just saying, it was a lot but of. His all, I mean, look at look at Rush. I mean, he's like. Oh yeah, 
Well, Rush is, I mean, that's, he's just a dope. I mean, he's like know. a toxic waste. He's just, right? I mean, that's he's just, just crazy. He's just a blowhard. Now, now, we want to go back to your, I can't believe, now the, the video with Mick Jagger, though, I mean, how cool is that? Because, I mean, you're with Mick Jagger. Well, yeah, and I had never seen the Stones, and I've never seen the Stones perform. Were, are um, you a fan, were you a fan of their music? I love their music, of course. How can you not be? It's like phenomenal. And I really like Keith Richards as a person. I think he's amazing. Mick Jagger's beautiful and was particularly beautiful when I first met him, um, which was in 77. But, um, yeah, it was fun to do the it was fun to do the the movie and it was interesting to see him perform because he performed a lot for me. It was, you know, I played the slave girl. <laughs> but yeah, it was cool. It was really cool. It, it it's 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 one of those sort of magical career moments. Okay, we're, I want to. We're gonna get back to your other career stuff, but I want to talk about the cursed part three. Oh, cursed part three. Yes, I just that. released that online. Just listen. now, what's cool about that is, and I was looking. It's like you think. Well, first of all, why, what made you want to write and direct? What? what, uh, what t- got Fifteen you years ago, I was hired to do a show called Mysterious Ways, and I had just broken up with somebody, so I had left a relationship. I had three weeks of space, and um, that week I had written this on sort of on assignment. Uh, this script about a rich woman who writes three-page treatment that is basically a direct rip from Blair Witch that has incomplete sentences. It's no structure. It's just a terrible, terribly written three pages. And But she, this rich woman takes her money and these three pages and a cast of actors and a crew up to this remote place in California to shoot her three pages. And that was the idea of my script, uh, Curse Part 3. And I thought, you know, I've got some money in the bank. Let me just go write, let me just go direct this in 10 days. So I had never directed anything and I wanted to see what it was like. Now, did you learn the directing from being directed in movies? Is that how you did it? I learned directing from reading some directing books, from being on sets, but you know, you do not get what you need to know from watching or being directed. Your best thing to do is to go to school or to, in my case, I read everything I could on directing, but then I ended up talking to a bunch of directors, but the best thing I did was I made Curse Part 3 because I really made some big mistakes takes on it and I learned some things that you need to never do um, as well as I, I had a lot of fun so um, I went to it, it, I call Curse Part 3 my, my film school now you said you you can't, how'd you come up with the idea? I mean, could you? Say, That's what I'm saying. This this what happened was I was hired by I was ostensibly hired right on me to write a script for this wealthy woman. Okay, so okay, so she handed me these three pages. So that's true. That actually happened. That was happened. a true story. Okay. But what happened was I went home with the three pages and I thought they were so atrocious. But then I thought it was kind of funny. I thought, what if, what if a rich woman took these three pages because, you know, we she probably didn't think they were atrocious and she didn't, this person, but she tried to make a movie out of it and that would be like the torture session. So along in the spirit of Chris Guest, that was my intention when I wrote Curse Part 3 was that it was, um, it's a movie about a movie being now, made. Was it your first script you've written? Oh, no, no, no. I'd written many scripts okay. prior to that. I had done uh, a movie called Boulevard that I wrote. And by the time we did Curse Part 3, it was probably my seventh or eighth script. I've been writing since 91. Okay, so when you, you write the script, you decide mm-hmm. you're going to direct it. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you get the, how do you get the project going? You so to- I had the money to make it myself. And then I had broken up with somebody who, um, and then a friend of mine, a really dear friend of mine t- said, you before you go do this film and before you go off to do your series, come to Maui. So I went to Maui, and um, at the same time I was casting, and I couldn't find a stud to play the brat in the movie. I knew Ben Reed would do it. I knew Chris Cam would do it. I had Amy Linden. I had Donna Mills. But I couldn't get someone to play this brat role. So I went to Maui as a failure, not being able to cast my little indie, you know, experimental film. And we, my friend, who's lovely, Joel Castleberg, he said, let's go to this restaurant in um Anyway, called Bubba Gumps, and I walked into this restaurant, and this beautiful angel of a face sort of came up to our table and said to me, put me in a movie. And it was Chris Pratt. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that And I looked at his face, and I said to him, do you know how to act? And he listed all of these high school productions he had done. And I mean, that's acting, right? So I said, okay, be at this address on Wednesday, I will drop off a script to the restaurant tomorrow, because he lived in a van, so he didn't really have a place. So I dropped the script off the next day, and he showed up two days later, completely off book, knowing everyone's lines, including his own, and uh, he blew us away. 
we were blown away. And then on top of that, he's just adorable. He was 19, and and I was so happy because it was like, we're, you know, I, I got my guy. I got my film. Out of nowhere. I mean, just, just going to Maui. You, who would have thought it would have been your waiter coming up? I mean, who would have thought I got up to the table? That's just how things work. It was magical. And then he came, and, and um, we, we were in production immediately, and he we flew him out, and he, he was so much fun to work with, and it was so much fun to, in general. We bonded. It's still Cozarks in the movie from White Men Can't Jump. I mean, it's a really fun film. Amy Linden's incredible. She plays Mavis, the lead. And I'm friends with her on Facebook, but I don't know how. I don't. She's know. awesome. I know. She's I know a people, good teacher too. I know yeah. a girl I know who taken her class. Yeah. And the I'm Linden there, technique. And when I saw it, I was like, "Wait a second. I said, "I'm friends." She with her stars Facebook. in it, and she does a really good job. I mean, she's just like a body babe, you know. Um, and I needed someone who could be like kind of the obnoxious, you know, the rich lady. And it turns out my script, I didn't know the woman who had actually originally I'd met with. I had said in the in the movie she had a botched boob job and the, and her um, money was sort of, you know, sort of dubious how she got it. This was just a guess. And turns out it was true. Well, there you go. <laughs> and the lady wanted to kill me. So now, did you enjoy the directing process? Was it fun? I do, do. I do enjoy directing. I just directed a pilot for myself called The Celebrant. Um, I love directing. It's hard, and I could be better at it. But um, it's like an it's like an unfolding. It's like writing. You just get better every time you do it. Um, I would like to work once with a little bit more money, and a little bit more time. And um, but I think I'm not bad. I mean, I, I don't think I'm perfect, and I have a long way to go. But um, some people think I'm crazy because, you know, in all of Curse Hysterical, it's very, very funny. It's got some issues, you know, and, you know, the celebrant's not perfect, but it's beautiful, and I love it. You know, I get better at it. I, I think I'm much, much, much better at it. What makes you love directing? Um, well, I'm a writer. So as a writer... Uh, my, I think I'm a writer. I'm an actor probably first, a writer second, and then a director. Um, for writing, as a writer, it's nice to be able to be able to manifest what I've written because I know what I wanted. So that's one reason why I got pushed into directing because I wrote something. Um, and so it protects the writing. It's really kind of a selfish thing. That's not selfish, no, because yeah. I, well, I think anyone, if you write something, I, I, this is my feeling always about directing because I've written some stuff here or there, but I always think if you wrote it, when, at least for me when I write something, I'm envisioning what I write. It's, yeah. it's already there. Oh, yeah, it's always it's, I don't visual, need, yeah. I don't need someone sit there and go, well, well, how did you know? You know, you don't need that. And so when you go and direct, I think you have that vision that already. So I think once you already have written it, I think the directing, you've taken a big chunk out of it, but you still have to do the physical. You know, I learned something because we, we had a technical thing with, with Curse, but I love Curse. I think Curse is very, very funny. And I think that the um, performances are amazing and there's some really beautiful, funny, I think classic scenes. Um, and as a whole thing, you know, you can tell it's an indie experimental, low-budget film, but it's, it was a very, very good experience for me. It, taught, it was like my film school. Um, and for The Celebrant, which I just did this year, and um, to all my... Um, I did a crowdfunding, so to all my contributors, your DVD's coming. I'm not, I'm not bad. I'm a little bit late, but it's coming. Now, what's the uh, synopsis for The Celebrant? The Celebrant, I play a celebrant, which is a woman who creates ceremony. Okay. Um, so I help people get married. I help people die. I help, you know, any kind of ceremony where you want so something that's non-religious but spiritual. So I play this woman that can bring spirit, God, and love. It can be a religious thing, and I can handle that, or it can be a non religious something that an atheist may be sensitive to uh, without it being offensive so I play a celebrant somebody who brings the sacred to life and you wrote that I wrote that okay. yes, yes and it's so a series it's something I'd like to do as a series okay so you did that and then you go to the crowdsourcing I did I wrote this piece I um, shot what they call a teaser which was three pages four pages to give a taste and then I uploaded it to uh, Indiegogo and I raised enough money to shoot it and it's 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 done. It's done. Okay. The pilot's done. So now where are we going to be able to find the pilot? I'm going to do it on VHX. I did where I did um, where I'm doing Curse Part Three. My um, my website for Curse Part Three is radicalmystic.com. It'll yeah, be, how, how'd you get that name? It's just it was just a um, a thing because of the celebrant because I play a mystic. But I like so the name. Radical Mystic was how I came up with it. So then I thought, well, that will be my domain name, and I will put my films under Radical Mystic, and I will have everything come off of. And VHX is the um, is the company that I use that that does the uh, films for me instead of like iTunes, which takes like fifty percent or you know. 
mean, you get a little bit more exposure, but I'm not worried about it because I'm not in a rush, obviously. I'm here to play. Now, a celebrant is how long is this? It's uh, 45 minutes. Okay, now you said you would like to make it a series. I would like to do more. In in what way? How would the series continue? All focused on you with different people? No, no, people? no, no. It's never, this is the thing that's interesting about the celebrant. I'm sort of like touched by an angel, but with an edge. It's about other people. It's about the human condition. It's about each week we'll have three clients, and the series focuses on what the process that they go through. And my next my my next episode, uh, one of the people from the first pilot, her son has a little bit of a meth problem, and she comes to me to uh, to help her encourage him to maybe seek treatment. And of course, my character has her own issues. So when I'm faced with addiction, one wonders: is addiction just physical? Is it just, or is it psychological? And is it is there a spiritual component? So there's all these fun moments, opportunities for me to ask the big questions, especially spiritually. Now, how do you and, come? Oh, go ahead. And there's no show like that on TV. And it actually is a little bit too advanced for actual TV. I mean, look what, when I, last year when I brought out The Celebrant, people were like, first of all, there's nobody really of age on TV. There's certainly very few people of color on TV. And then I had written it. So, I mean, they don't know what to do with it. Like somebody said, oh, take it to Lifetime. What do they do? What, what kind of shows are on TV right now that, that are dealing with spirituality? Which, give me one. I can't think of it. No, there isn't any. There isn't. And there's some on some smaller networks or some of the super, super, you know, the, but they're really Judeo-Christian. And I have nothing against Christianity, but it's just like my show, I would like to think bridges, you know, we have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a lot of bit of this. And, you know, we, we I'd like to say we push through the, the, the religious parameters and we actually ask these deep questions that anyone would ask right and i think i think you know on the point about that is i think people are more religious and spiritual a lot of Everyone's, times everyone and yeah. and the thing is i'm always one of those people i mean i don't i don't i didn't go to club going to church i'm more of a spiritual person and a lot of times people you don't hear people you know you hear people at a bar talking about religion. Uh, you know, my, my father always said, don't bring religion or politics to dinner table. Or money. Yeah, and, but you hear people that. But you never hear people really talking about spirituality. And if you do, sometimes people are like, well, what the hell are you talking about? And, and I, it's very woo-woo. I mean, a lot of times, you know, I always sort of, I'm very suspect when someone says they're a spiritual teacher or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, but I think it's something that's up because it's getting weirder. I mean, life is hard. Right? Oh, life that's is crazy. Really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, you see everything going on and now. People are losing like, their shit everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's true, and it's funny. I mean, I think you know when I grew up, and maybe I it, because I always think it's possibly because when I grew up, there wasn't all eighty-seven million channels. Mm -hmm. There wasn't TMZ. There wasn't uh, this. You know, we watched the channel six in Philadelphia. Channel six news. There's six o'clock or three. Yeah, yeah. six o'clock. Yeah, and not eleven o'clock. And we then were Sunday was the Disney shows, right? right? Yeah, and and so I don't think. I think people are losing their shit because we're there's so much stuff going on now. Information. Yeah, that we didn't know about. Yeah. And yeah. so that's why we're I mean, plugged in and not unplugged and people don't like Louis C. K. says, no one knows how to be by themselves. That's true. I mean We don't know how to just have a date with ourselves. Well, no, and I also noticed a lot of people just, they don't, people don't do anything fun. My last guest, Dion, was talking about how he used to throw the Frisbee at the stadium before they'd go in. When I was a kid, we'd go on the beach and throw Frisbee. Yeah. I was at the beach a while ago. I saw no one throwing a Frisbee. Yeah. I go to concerts. Remember concerts? You had the lighter and you tennis, threw the Frisbee? I play tennis, so I play tennis, and we, that's fun. Are you good at tennis? Yeah, yeah. Uh, really? Yeah, I play tennis. I play on teams and stuff. Have yeah. you always played? No, I started in 97. I'm late. I came to the party late. I've only been playing like 20 years. So how'd you get good? I mean, most people have to start for tennis. I'm athletic, though. I'm I'm okay. an athlete, so I mean, no matter what I do, I try to be good at it, whether it's dancing or hiking or skating. I ski, I snowboard. You know, I do everything. There's nothing I, I can't do. But do you lift weights on the st uh, treadmill? I no. can. <laughs> I won't lift weights on a treadmill. Okay, and I have gone backwards on a treadmill. Have you? What but is, I, what? I'm not really big on the treadmill. I prefer to do, um, I'd rather do like stadium steps or something. Okay. I'd, I'd rather go outside. I, I don't mind boot camp. I do uh, P90X3. Okay. So I'm like I'm fit, but I'm not necessarily thin. Well, that, but a lot of people are like that. I could beat you up and maybe I, carry you, but I'm not necessarily. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like. But I, I'm, I don't like Spike Lee, so you can't beat me up. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. But I, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm not thin. I some people say to me, you know, you should be thinner, and I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. Well, now, now the celebrant. How do you come up with the stories? I mean, for the because you want to do more. I mean, is it just things? That well, the thing about the celebrant is the stories are easy. I look at the papers. I look at what's going on in life. I, I mean, you know, the human condition's interesting. I mean, people are losing. Like I said, people are losing it. 
losing it. I mean, even just meaning, being able to sit by yourself in a restaurant and not feel bad and not look at your your personal device. Being able to walk down a street and not look at your personal device. I mean, now we're at the point where it's an undoing of these habits. We have social habits that are complete. And like you say, people aren't having fun. They're not doing natural things. And they're losing it. Like, Well, last night, Instagram and Facebook went out. And that was the number one story in the news. Now, we have, we, we have a blizzard. Now, true, we were in California, so the blizzard's not. And we were watching CNN about the blizzard because we have family back east. And it's one of those things, one, you want to give people crap. Like, they go, oh. You don't watch M- MSNBC? No, my girlfriend at MSNBC. I like Anderson Cooper. So okay. say, but my girlfriend likes MSNBC. And you kind of look like him. I, I look not. I have the last name of him. I look nothing like Anderson <laughs> Cooper. He has gray hair. I'm bald. Okay, but but the, under that bald, or over that bald is gray. But yeah, oh, yeah so yeah. you do have a little Anderson Cooper going on. Sorry, I'm, I'm just telling the audience what you look like. Well, I, I don't think I look anything like him. But it was I funny. Know. What sucked is my show is called Cooper Talk, and when I used to, when people would try to find it, they would say we Googled it, and that also came up was Anderson Cooper Talk Show. <laughs> See, and I was like, like, damn him. that Anderson Cooper. <laughs> but uh, no, but we but we watched that and so given but it's so funny like the number one story on the news when there's so much stuff going on is Instagram and Facebook went yeah. out for I don't know uh, 15 20 minutes I don't know and it's like it's just funny because we do get very relying on it and I do I'll be honest I mean I sit there because I post stuff about my show I like to post funny things yeah get- you know it's funny I'm kind of like I'm 50-50 about Facebook because I think that first of all you have 5,000 friends or so they say but you don't ever get access to the 5,000 I think there's about 100 that um, hog my wall for instance um, and it's kind of annoying in a way because I'd like to access all 5,000 of the people or get fresh people <laughs> it's like I don't think it's as I think there's sort of I don't know how to describe it. I think the matrix is funky. I only have, I have like 2,200 and I could get 5,000 friends easy because I know different comics. Yeah. But I do it because I don't, you know, I, and I get weird requests from people, but I don't, well, I don't accept them all. I, I accept a lot of people, but I have like four pages now and I've got to get a new one. But, um, cause I'm, you know, I'm promoting, the, I'm promoting curse part three because people ask me would I release it. So, you know, people say, why didn't you, you know, why did we, you've got Chris Pratt starring in it. You've got Chris Pratt starring in it. And I go, yeah. And he's really good in the movie. And they say, why didn't you release it? And I say, well, I, I don't know that it was pretty enough 15 years ago, but I think it holds up and it's, you know, it's, it's got its issues, but it's lovely. Well, it's, it's fun. Fun. It's a thing. It's, it's really it's, funny. And it's now. Would you consider it campy? It's extremely campy. It's a satire, right? About filmmaking. So that's that's what people like, though, especially I now. I think so. Because I think we're stuck now when we talk about you know social media and everything that you know anyone can direct something right now. Like if you which have isn't video. bad. But yeah, but that, but it's not bad and it's great. But a lot of people in Hollywood now, they're only hiring from YouTube. Right. If a YouTube person has over a million people, they're going to be considered. Because, right, it's social networking. I mean, I feel lucky that I'm not afraid of the computer and that I will do everything on it. You know, like I have no, I'm pretty fluent with it. But, you know, if you don't have that, it, you're not valuable. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm okay on the computer, so I guess I'm not valuable. But no, uh, just in I, terms I, I, of I being Instagrammed, and I'm not an Instagram because I don't have an iPhone. I do refuse to buy Apple products. What kind of phone do you? Have? I have an Android, but I refuse to do to do Apple because I think it makes you stupid. But there are things that you can't do unless you have an Apple, and I find that that's really weird. Well, it's I also me and my girlfriend were talking about that because she has an Apple and I have a Galaxy Four. That's an Android, and and yeah, the Android. And for me, I always hated like her her iPhone. I for me, when they did the upgrade for the last one, I said to my buddy, it, it looked like when you did the they automatically did the upgrade, and it looked like Fisher Price. I said yeah. this is like a, and I said to my buddy, I said he's a big guy. I'm like, how do you? text on this because the iPhone all of them was small and yeah. your thumbs and you do it and I, my girlfriend would go can you send something to my mom and I'm like no because I can't push yeah. this goddamn thing and what's funny we notice is there are some apps that you can only get for iPhone yeah. and they're better for iPhone like you sit there and you go okay I want to get that app and I go well mine my mind doesn't look like yours no it's really interesting how it has it, we've become like and it's it's insidious it's going to get worse you think so I think so I mean uh, some people really swear by the uh, um, Blackberry for the right reasons it's easy to text on it and everything and I and you can throw the Blackberry and it won't break um, I just think Apple's evil <laughs> like, that, that's it's your own choice I, I, don't, I don't have any Apple products I'm not a Mac guy I use no, the thing no. well, that's cool that you did that that's good no I've, I'm, I'm, I'm against it I read his biography by Walter Isaacs and I went ooh this guy knows you know what he knows he knows about cults 
Well, that's, that's a lot of things these days are cults. Yeah, so, it's I mean, a that's, cult. It's a cult. And people don't even know. And I think at the end of the day, we're going to look back and go, wow, we, that was evil. That was really creepy. We've, because I even think sex has suffered. I think we are so into not being personal and not being moist with each other in terms of emotionally that I think people are not having good sex. You think it's because of it, because no one needs to. You can jerk off in front of your screen. You don't have to interact, you know? Well, it, it's funny how we do come so close. We do, like, when you go out, I always laugh when I see couples uh, not talking. Like, like last night, me and my girlfriend went out for dinner, and it was because uh, it was three years ago was the first time she came out here, even though we went to college. Congratulations. She, but we went to college together. We didn't see each other for 20-odd years, and, just, and it wasn't through Facebook that we met. It was my buddy married her friend and they needed a comic for a party back east and we just started talking very random you know not she my girlfriend was anti-social media until just recently she wasn't on facebook she wasn't any of it she's like i don't want to is she an academic uh no i mean she's a college graduate but she's 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 starting a company where she's an advocate she speaks out about because she was date raped in a big case in philadelphia years ago so she speaks at colleges and stuff like that so she's really in the on the cosby thing oh my god Uh, well you know that's funny for that is yeah, because her, because she. I mean, was, it's creepy because there's, there's, it's more than just the, it, the fact that the thing that he rep, the whole case represents, it's less about him per se. I mean, of course, it's all about him, but ultimately, what we're really feeling, I think, the pain is, is how many years, if in fact he is guilty, that he got away with it because of who he was. That's what's really hurting everyone, I think. Well, I think it's also just, and I think it's also hurting that to so much to so many kids and a generation. I mean, when I watched Cosby, I was already. I was out no, of yeah, house. Yeah, I remember yeah. the I Spy days. I, mean, I remember, and I take people. I, we're friends. My family's friends. My my sister and I are friends with his daughters. Okay, and we've met him certainly. And he never, of course, was. Uh, but, but but we feel, you know, we we love his girls. You know, Mrs. C is incredible. So we have deep pain for them because um, let's just say it's true. Wow. And then let's just say it's not true. Wow. Right. You know, like when dad was in a felon and in jail, um, you know, we were around them at the time and it was sad for, they felt bad for us that our dad was going through my dad, which by the way, was the best career move ever, but um, being in jail for weed. But, um, but for the, this particular thing, there's no recovery. Yeah. And it's just, it's, I mean, yeah, as you said, either way, either way, it's just painful. And I'm not saying I know, and I'm not saying I, I you know, I definitely think there's been a lot. It makes me kind of go, well, it's not looking very good and um, I'm not going to take a hard position I just feel compassion for the victims and you say you're you know and there's a new the people who did the um, fantastic movie Invisible War about the military they have they've just finished a documentary on campus rape so I mean I've I definitely have been sexually assaulted myself I don't think I know anyone who hasn't well yeah and it's funny because my girlfriend comes out on it and you know and she it was a big case and she's mm-hmm. she blogs and she's trying to turn it into a book and she just mm-hmm. wants to help people and she went through the healing process and um what's the thing about it is also is you know when she sees stuff what irritates her is the shaming like the people always say that person deserved it and and that's what bothers me because you know i did comedy for a long time and i'll be honest if i met a girl at a show and she came back to the hotel did i want to get laid yes that was the idea Mm -hmm. if she said no did i push it no because that's why my parents taught me better and that's what hate would bother me but the thing that is really tricky is you for women too and there are and i will take the other side of that which is you really shouldn't go back to a guy's hotel room late at night with the intention of not going all the way you know i mean if you're going to just hang out and talk go to a coffee shop yeah, but Ladies, when, yeah, but, you when know, you're, I know, but when you're doing the show and it's like anything, no. thing, people are think you know your, your pictures on the the. No, thing. but you still don't go back to a guy's house, even, yeah, if well, it's, even if it's like you know a multiple rock, you know rock. If you, unless you, you you, there's a part of me that just says absolutely you do not go back to the hotel or to you don't even get in the car. You just meet in a neutral place, right? So well, you can say no and then go on, you know, safely back to your. Fine. I mean, you're right. We should be able to say no, and it means something. But we can't. And then, but like I said, like like with with the um, whole thing that we do now, this 
this texting. It's taken over. We don't. Well, really that's have like this. last night when we were at the dinner. She she had to text her brother real quick, and I'm like, "Hey, what are you doing? We're out to dinner." You know, it's yeah, like there should be rules. But then she was like, "I just wanted to say, make sure everything with the snow," and that was fine. But then she put it down. We but I see to. it when I see people. I I mean, I I go stop by this bar every once in a while to get a drink, and the regular guy, the regulars that are always there, they sit there at the bar and they play like this video game, and I'm thinking, okay, if you're gonna do that, just stay at home. I know. And play it because it's know. like I go if I go out, I go out to socialize. And my I girlfriend hates that because I talk to beings. everybody. To see human and I, beings. Yeah, and then I get yeah. caught up talking. Then I go, I'll be home at seven. I'll go, well, I'll be home at eight. It's just because you get into you that get interaction yeah. and, it, yeah, and it yeah. feels great. So now how can, people, how can people get this movie Cursed? Cursed Part 3 is available online at my website, which is www.radicly. M-Y-S-T-I-C RadicalMystic.com or go to Facebook and I've got or go to Facebook and see Curse Part 3 there's a page there too but there's a Ray Don Chong page and you can see it um, and I'm also on Twitter which is Ray under slash Don under slash Chong and I'm putting up I put it up through the link to see Curse Part 3 with Chris Pratt and Ben Reed and Chris Cam and Amy Linden and Silk Kozark and Donna Mills Now how did you find all the other people like Ben and all did you know them or did you do it easy I casting? knew Ben from Ann Wyckoff and I knew Chris Chris Cam um, we were social friends and then Donna Mills plays tennis she's a very good tennis player so yeah so like who do you play tennis with do you play tennis with other celebrities or you just play I've tennis played with, with I've played in tournaments with like Gavin Rossdale who's very good and really good friends with um, what's his name Federer I've played with the uh, Bryan brothers I've played with uh, James Blake's brother Thomas Blake who's lovely and um, I have not met Agassi when I tried to meet him he was busy doing something I can't remember what it was but I have met Pete Sampras and I have met uh, but I've not played with them and I have met uh, John McEnroe but yeah I yeah and as far as you know who plays well um Melissa Rivers is pretty good, okay. which is interesting. And who's really good as well is um, she was in the Babysitter movie, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Show. Yeah, she's quite good. She's like a four, 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 oh, four, five. I'm a four, oh. What is what's that mean? It's like a ranking. You get a rating, you know. So I'm like a my my friend says I'm a four, two. <laughs> That's good. So though. as you go up, like elite p- players are like sevens. Okay, so now back to the. Uh, the the this, what would I call it? The Curse YouTube? Part Three? No, the other the the the, the uh, celebrant. What is that a what? I mean, is that what? Are you, when are you going to start? Are you going to start doing some new shows? Or are you going to try to keep going? Um, I have what they call a Bible written for it, and okay. I have some fleshed out scripts for about nine episodes, if not more. And um, I've been working on. I just got. Div- I'm just getting a divorce, so I've just moved from New Hampshire to Los Angeles. So I've just set up a house. And uh, and then I've been working on Curse Part 3, getting my websites done. And that's really kind of onerous, getting guys to finish. Um, uh, so I haven't written the new episode yet, but I'm about to just crack into it. And it doesn't take me long to write. And then will you shoot that? Will you try and to? And I will. Sh- I'd like to shoot it. And I'd like to shoot it in uh, New England. I like um, where, I, where I was living for 10 years is a spectacular place, which is Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Hey. <laughs> was it weird leaving L.A. to go to New Hampshire? I really enjoy leaving Los Angeles. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I find being a woman of age and color and whatever, I find that L.A. is really unfriendly for somebody who's over 30. Um, not that I'm looking. I've, I've never been one of those women that look for love. But I, f- I just think it's a city of lonely, single people who are good looking and pretty spectacular. But it's expensive here, I think. I think that it's, um, I think there's a really shitty values. And unfortunately, it's like a one industry town, so I find the conversations kind of lame. Um, and I don't know, maybe I would be, maybe I would feel different if I was treated like Charlize Theron or something, but um, which would probably be the case. But I just find that LA is really a city of lonely people. But now you're, but you're glad to be back. Well, I'm enjoying it now because for one thing, um, I've been busy. I have a, I, I like my new agent. Um, Bell, and um, yeah, I'm having a good time. I haven't been here in ten years, so it's it's new to me. There's buildings I've never seen. There's right. really good neighborhoods where there used to be really dodgy neighborhoods. Um, I have a new car that I like. Um, yeah, it's you know it's funny how things. It's like change. I'm rediscovering. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, lived it's fresh. In, I've lived in Burbank for twelve years, and and that twelve years everything's changed. I can it's imagine weird. If you were like a kid here, like when I went back east, I didn't been back east for a long time. When I went back to me and my girlfriend were a long distance relationship, I went back to my hometown. And it was weird because I'm like, wait a second. And I'm like, what the hell happened? I'm like, that used to be, and like the diner, Olga's diner, like the biggest, I mean, we used to go there, you know, you get drunk and you go there late at night and it was still up, but it was like, 
not open and oh. they didn't rip it down and you oh. sit there and you go and it looks like crap you're like wait a second and it's weird but for, for you to come back it must be it must be weird because you were well, late for 10 years and then things things have changed very much in 10 well, years well like so. I've noticed now this trip that um, downtown of course is re- rejuvenated and totally groovy my sister who's um, was married to an artist is still married to him but um um, anyway, everything's morphing, but the um, downtown was fun, and we, you know, the last 15 years, because I come back for six weeks every year, but um, hanging out downtown was great, but apparently now it's really nice. I haven't been back down there yet, but the journey between um, sort of mid-Wilshire downtown is what's blown my mind, how nice it is. Like, there used to be, we used to party in the 80s at a restaurant called the um, Flaming Colossus, I don't know, and this was in 84, 85, and it was in a place on Temple Street, and it was rough. I mean, it was super, super gangy, you know, both Mexican or Latin, sorry, to the Mexicans, but Latin and black, you know, it was really rough. Now it's just gentrified. Well, that's like Eagle Rock. And I look around and I go, whoa, look at this. There's like, yeah. Well, that's like Echo Park and Eagle Rock. Oh, yeah. Completely. I mean, in a matter of no time, you know, Mm -hmm. it's crazy. Hipsters. We have about five minutes left. What would you like to talk about? I want people to I want people to check out Curse Part Three. I'm really into my movie. I just released it. Um, I think all the bugs are out of the site, so you can trust it. You can rent it for very little money, or you can buy it. And it's um, I want people to see it. I think it's funny. What can they rent it for? The two ninety nine. Well, that's good. Yeah, you can come and rent it and watch it, and you know. Twist up one and <laughs> sit back and laugh your ass off. <laughs> it, it, and this is when I did watch it. It, it does, and I love campy stuff like that. Yeah, because I was in this. I was in this god awful movie a few years, but God, ten years ago, called Killer Drag Queens on Dope, and I played a thug. And was it was the movie god awful because it was just no script or it didn't? It was just sense. it was it was shot low budget. It was just oh. god awful because it, it was it was so campy. I had fun, but like, did you see the interview? Uh, the interview. No, I'm going to watch it. I, I have Netflix. I'm going to. I'm going to watch it. We were going to watch it last night. I rented it the day that it came out because I felt first of all we had to support it. It's excellent. I've heard it's. It's yeah. It's I've heard excellent. it's. it's and I heard the direction's very good. Um, I think they had twenty million dollars to make it, and that must be nice. Um, and I just think these guys are funny. That's good. I really like James Franco, and I really really like Seth Rogen, and I th- I thought the subject matter. I thought they did it really well. Now, do you watch a lot of movies? Are you? I do. I'm in the Academy. I vote. I'm an. I'm. I love movies. I really do. I love movies. I'll go. I'll go see anything. Well, now you're in the Academy and you vote. Now, what was your feeling about no people of color getting nominated this year? Um, I, you know my feeling about it. The thing that really was interesting this year for me, uh, other than the um, shutout this year, which was a bummer and it's too bad, but um, I thought that the Sony hack was really telling. The fact that the upper upper echelon are very insensitive. They're not integrated. They're not diverse. The fact that they're bitchy. Even and they they kind of are. There's a lot of hubris within the ranks. It makes me realize that it's a systemic issue. It's never going to change until that that clubby frat boy. We are never letting you in the club vibe unless that goes away. And I don't know how it's going to happen. I mean, I think what's going to probably happen is is China is going to shut Hollywood down somehow. Um, and it's going to be, it's got to be, what's happening now is that it's all indie. It's going to be ind- independent in a massive way. Because the idea that you can have six people run six studios and they're deeply racist is kind of sad. Right. And sexist. And these are women that are sexist. They're not just, it's not, ju- and it's it's the white uh, mentality and it's it's an elitist thing and it it gives me the willies and it, and I was happy that the hack happened because we of color and age have always felt this was true like it wasn't just because they always say to you you know especially my friends oh you're so bitter how can you say these things and I'm like no 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 the upper upper echelon are really racist they don't they don't want to integrate they don't give they don't want it they want to be British they want to be white British people American American executives they don't want even American stuff they keep hiring the Brits right I mean it's sad and a lot of all, you're right a lot of TV shows the actors are all British they're all British everybody's British and I we can have a, we can have a, a, they don't they're, care they're, and then when it's somebody, they're speaking look, they're speaking uh, it's like even if it's and if it's a part that should be a woman who's challenged in terms of physically not attractive they'll hire you know no offense to her but Cameron Diaz to play right. the role and it's like really and it's because there's this thing of they just these are very successful wealthy people in beautiful offices not wanting to go outside their comfort zone true and i think that if you're going to run a studio you should be you should be personally integrated you should have a, a diverse 
you know, portfolio of friends. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be afraid to even understand the black experience. It sh- and it should be a diverse black experience. Not everybody's from the ghetto. I want to thank you for coming on. We're oh. actually, we, have, no, we have to wrap up in a minute because this goes off exactly in an hour. And so, Curse 3. Are we on the air? I thought this oh, was taped. This is recorded, okay. but I don't edit it. Okay. So, Curse 3. Yes, Curse Your website, and give your website three. again. Yes, it is www.radiclymystic.com. Radical Mystic. Check it out, and thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. And people, follow me on Twitter, and follow her Twitter, at Ray. Underscore Don underscore Chong. Follow her. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Also go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 335 episodes up there. Send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net, which I hate. I wish I had .com, but that was taken. Uh, <laughs> iTunes or Stitcher, you can also go find Cooper Talk. All my episodes are up there. Also, Stop the Salt, my cookbook will be coming out in about three weeks. Uh, low Sodium Cooking for One Without Killing Yourself. Follow, I'll be tweeting about that. Follow that because you know what? It's cooking. You got to be healthy. I went through my heart problem. I'm 100% better now, and it's all from changing your diet. Also, follow these affiliates who play me allradiox.com, wildflowerradio.com, wsdichicago.com, rentradionetwork.com, and the405media.com. Check them all out. They have all great shows. Go. You heard Ray Don Chalk talk. Go to her website, rent her movie, watch the movie. I watched the trailer. I had to watch because it it's very funny. It's very campy. So thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk, and keep your ears out and eyes out for Stop the Salt. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you tonight.